0: take your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 3. When I gave Jimmy the title out there, and we were talking about the, just the name of the message and the, the scripture reference, when Big Jim wrote down the scripture reference in the foyer, he was like, we're already in 1 Timothy 3. We got here, okay? We've got, you know, uh, it's a great book. And last time we were here, we looked at verse 15 specifically. But women will be preserved or saved, sozo, uh, through uh, from soteriology. We get the word soteriology from that, which means salvation. They'll be saved or preserved through the bearing of children if they continue in faith and love and sanctity with self-restraint. And we looked at that verse, and I mentioned to you, because if you're a brother or sister, I really encourage you to get that because that verse really gives you a lot of definition as to the beauty of of the roles that God has given us. And he outlines and underlines, we go through scripture. Uh, and I've had more people just respond after, or, uh, just another brother just today, just uh, uh, appreciating the meaning. When you look at the meaning of that verse, it's pregnant with just beauty, that verse. And how God preserves uh, sisters through childbearing and what that actually means. And I am not have time to get into it because we did that all last week. But get into it because it doesn't mean You'll be saved physically, but it means God will use your children and your duty to, to bring them up in Christ if He gives you children uh, to keep you from falling away and for final salvation. It's a very, very beautiful verse. And Paul goes and shifts. I mentioned that verse because Paul shifts now. Remember in the original letter, there wasn't, you know, Timothy didn't read this from Paul. Okay, now, Paul wrote chapter one. He wrote these verses. There are no chapter breaks or no verses, right? It's just his letter right so you go right from verse 15 to chapter 3 verse 1 and Paul shifts to the man's role now again back to the man's role it says it's a trustworthy statement if any man aspires to the office of overseer it is a fine work he desires to do now that statement the first few words in the english it is a trustworthy statement that could actually be joined to the end of verse 15. It could actually be speaking of verse 15 being a trustworthy statement uh, that women will be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith and so forth. Uh, Because the Greek grammar doesn't specify. You know, when you read it, uh, just like if you read in English, uh, and there's no punctuation, you could see that it could go with the statement before or the statement after. Uh, some prefer to attach it to the statement after when they interpret. Most translations, as you see, in fact, I, we use the NASB here, most of us. We're open, a lot of translations are great, you know. Uh, some aren't so good. But it's a pretty good translation, the NASB 1995. And it actually attaches it to the verse following. Uh, if it's referring to the verse before it, it's a trustworthy statement that women will be saved, you know, through childbearing, that would be more consistent because there's a few trustworthy uh, statements, sayings that Paul addresses in the pastoral epistles, and every other one has to do with salvation. And since verse 15 of chapter 2 has to do with salvation, that's an argument for maybe it's supposed to be there. Uh, Now, the other, it's a trustworthy saying, for instance, Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 1, 15 and 16, that God, you know, Jesus came in the world to save sinners, of which I'm chief. That's salvation. And that's a really easy, pithy, traditional declaration we can make, amen? The problem is, is chapter 2, verse 15, and chapter 3, verse 1, that what follows that statement isn't so pithy, isn't so pronounced to where you necessarily think that it's a saying, but there's there for emphasis. And I believe it... uh, (laughs) We can't know definitively, so it's a matter of interpretation. We don't know for sure. But uh, verse 15 is inspired by God, and chapter 3, verse 1 is inspired by God. So, hey, I'll take it this way. Both of them are really trustworthy sayings. Okay, how's that? Uh, now, if a, if a man aspires to the office of overseer or elder, uh, the Greek word is uh, presbyteros, presbyteros, presbyteros. Uh, and it speaks more of an, of an older person, sometimes it's used more literally, or an elder, meaning a leader. Uh, uh, they translate it here in the NASB, overseer, which is often the translation of another Greek word that deals with eldership. I don't have a problem with translating it, overseer, because I think uh, an elder is an overseer, and an overseer is an elder. Uh, and they're the same office in the English, or they ought to be understood that way, I believe but it's a fine work he desires to do. Now, this will relate to everybody because even though it's talking about the office of eldership, it should encourage all of us. Men, every single qualification that's given here for an elder, except for maybe teaching as a special gift, uh, although all, all men ought to be teachers to one degree or another, at least in their example, right? And encouraging people in, in righteousness and so forth, applies to all all of us. So when we look at this, don't say, well, this doesn't really relate to me because, you know, I don't know that I want to be an elder or overseer ever in the future. It relates to you because God right here is signifying what it means to be a man of God, what it means to stand up as a man and be counted. And if you look at, you know, you know not being given over to too much wine or, uh, you know, uh, beyond reproach, all these different things apply to all men. And by the way, they would most of these things in this list would also as far as application goes apply to the women of God amen i mean there may be a couple that won't like the husband of one wife okay that doesn't apply to women okay but there's many other things there that do apply to women as far as godly living amen so we shall really be strengthened here in regard to and i'm really looking forward to this next few weeks or whatever it takes to go through these uh, the, the qualifications because in so doing we're going to be stretched We're going to be encouraged, we're gonna be strengthened as to what it means to be men and women of God, amen? To have biblical goals in mind is to becoming more Christ-like and being fit for the heavenly kingdom, vessels fit for the master's service, amen? What our duties are, what God calls us to do, what commands he calls us to obey, what our characters ought to be like, amen? What we should be like inwardly, the kind of people we ought to be, amen? And, uh, and you know what we should be uh, doing and what our motives should be and what our attitudes should be and how we should have discernment and so forth to make sure we grow in these various things. So there'll be a lot of really cool application to stretch us in our spiritual growth. But I wanna hone in right now on verse one. It's this trustworthy statement. If any man aspires or desires The office of overseer, it's a fine work he desires to do. Now, it's interesting when that word translated for him, the man aspiring or desiring to do this, you know, to be an elder. This Greek word is used throughout the pastoral epistles. Whenever it's used elsewhere, it's used of evil desire. It's interesting. I'll give you just a few examples. There are several examples. I just wrote down a few of them. Uh, when you look at the Greek, uh, uh, 1 Timothy 6.9 talks about those in the same book, those who desire to be rich, that's what they live for, will be plunged into many hurtful lusts and, and, and to destruction, and they'll fall away from the faith, Paul says. In 2 Timothy 2.2, the second Timothy, a second pastoral epistle, there's also Titus, uh, he warns about those who... Young men and women in Christ that they're supposed to flee, flee youthful desires. You see, when you be, get, get come into puberty and so forth, desires can become strong. You're young and you're easily deceived because these hormones are racing, and, and Satan throws everything at you, the rock stars, the pop stars, and everything else, trying to tell you who to be, how to live, and you have social media and so forth, and you're being tempted to keep up with the Joneses if you're a little bit older, uh, but, or if you're not, and there's these youthful desires that are, 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 can become very unholy. In fact, the word that we often see translated lust is a simple Greek word that simply means desire, and it's not necessarily evil, except for its context. When we hear the word lust, it's always pretty much used in a derogatory, degrading, evil context. But the Greek word, it could be used either way. That's why Jude talks about ungodly lusts, ungodly desires, when he's talking about false teachers says they are grumblers, you know, uh, you know, walking after their own ungodly lust. And it's interesting. But, so the word desire in itself isn't bad, but Paul's using it in the context of, of, of 2 Timothy 4.3. He uses it there, too. That he says in the last days, you know, he says, you know, people heaping themselves teachers, tickling their ears, telling them what they desire to hear. And they won't endure sound doctrine. So in the last days, the preaching like you hear from me, we hear a lot of sound doctrine. I preach the Word, right? People are going to say, "Hey, you know what? I just want to hear messages that just make me feel good. You know, I don't want to be convicted of my sin. You know, he already—he's already talking about our duty, our character, maybe needing to be changed, our attitudes, our motives. Well, that's all important stuff, guys. The that's the stuff we should be applying to our lives. Amen. Amen. <laughs> yeah, it—you know." Turn some people off because they want to just feel good in their sin and feel like they've got fire insurance, they're going to heaven because they named the name of Jesus at some altar call. But I want to make sure you get in. Amen? Amen. I want to make sure that you know the truth and you follow, follow Jesus who is the way, the truth, and the life and that we are sincere in our faith and that we're truly growing into men and women of God like he's called us to be. Amen? So this is really important. But Paul uses the same word for desire here in a good way. Instead of desiring to be rich, instead of following youthful desires, instead of desiring people to tickle your ears, so you listen to Joel Olstein because you'll never use the word sin, you know, or Rick Warren because he'll never use the word repentance, or, you know, and you'll feel comfortable, and they won't talk about the end times and all those things. No, man, we wanna stay in the truth. Instead of desiring those types of things, We ought to desire God's word, amen? And godly men ought to pray and say, hey, Lord, do you ever want me to be in leadership? And if you desire to be an overseer, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. In fact, Paul calls it, what does he say at the end of verse 3? Verse 1, it's a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of overseer, it is a fine work he desires to do. So it's actually a a fine thing. Now, it's very, very important, obviously, because what Paul's doing is highlighting the importance of being an overseer, and he wants people to understand. And I'm going to be a good steward because a brother gave this to me, and if I don't drink this, I feel bad because I don't usually do this, but I'm going to be a good steward and have a good time at the same time. People always bring me up water. I feel bad because I hardly ever take a drink, you know. And at the end, I'm like, why did I take a drink? I was so parched. Uh, it, it, you're laughing. You're like, good, praise God. You don't spit on me as much, right? Because you're in the front row, <laughs> Gerald. <laughs> but uh, now, it's a good desire if your motives are right. If, what do I mean if your motives are right? Because people sometimes want to be in leadership for the wrong reasons. There's all kinds of people that are elevated to eldership, overseer in a fellowship because it's, they, they want to be sometimes, especially in churches that are like pop churches, I call them, they're like pop, you know, they preach what people want to hear and they become very popular, but they don't get warned about false teaching, things like that. And they want it for influence. Or sometimes you see a lot of times doctors, lawyers will be appointed who a lot of times don't know the word. They might be great doctors. Or great lawyers, and maybe even an honest lawyer. Sure, that happens once in a while, right? You know, we've got some honest lawyers. We got uh, brother Jeff here is super honest. You know, great lawyer, uh, but but it's for the wrong reasons. For for many of them, and people want to put prestigious people up in eldership, and then the church isn't getting taken care of. That's like making an elder a doctor when he has no qualifications to be a doctor. That would be very dangerous, wouldn't it, right? Because, uh, you know, what if, you know, because I went to some hospital and I was nice to people, the doctors and nurses thought I was a nice guy and I got along with patients well. They said, you know what, we want you to be a doctor here. You know? Would you want to be my patient? I hope not, okay? Why well, don't want a doctor to be an elder if he's not qualified. And Paul gives 11 qualifications here. And his qualifications are also mentioned later for leadership in 1 Timothy 5. He brings them back up, other things. And Titus chapter 1 in the book of Titus, another pastoral epistle written to Titus to appoint elders for the cities in Crete. Uh, they're, very, they're very remarkably similar. And the qualifications are very important. Now, but the motivations are, are a concern, you know. Like, for instance, Peter calls himself a fellow elder in 1 Peter 5. Now, John in 1 John, chapter, or in 1 John and 2 John calls himself an elder. And Peter calls himself an elder. Both those elders are also apostles. Apostles can be elders, but elders aren't typically apostles. Okay, you had some of them, obviously, in the first century. And Peter says... That those who receive or are become elders, he warns them in First Peter two, listen five, chapter five, verse two and three. Listen, shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion but voluntarily, according to the will of God. Okay, and not for money either. He says, or in the King James, not for filthy lucre. So it shouldn't be for the sake. Somebody shouldn't be motivated to be an elder because they want to rule over people. That's wrong. Jesus said not to be like the Gentiles who seek to have authority over each other. Amen? But he said if you want to be great in God's kingdom, you have to be the servant of all. Amen? It ought to be because you love the Lord. and You love his church. And you want to protect the church. and You want to grow the church and strengthen the church. And it shouldn't be because of filthy lucre. Uh, why would somebody get into a filthy lucre? Well, 1 Timothy chapter 5 it's kind of interesting. Uh, it mentions that, there, they, that, well, go to 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17. 1, Peter 5, chapter 5, 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17. It says, the elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. So there's elders that do, do certain things, but some work hard at preaching and teaching. And they're all supposed to. All elders. Some have more managerial type positions. Some have, you know, administrative and so forth. Some also teach and do those things. Uh, uh, but it says that those who they're all to have double honor. But it says especially. Uh, those who work hard at preaching and teaching. And uh, listen to what the New Living Translation brings out, what the understanding of double honor is by many scholars. Elders, elders who do their work well should be respected and paid well, especially those who work hard at both preaching and teaching. This is the verse I use when I go to Steve and the elders, you know, for a raise. Right here. No, I'm just kidding. Never did. In fact, usually I always have always kicked against raises, right, Steve? You know, please don't give me a raise, okay? Please. My wife's like, you said what? You know, no, no. But the Lord, Lord has taken care of me. You know, I've, I've had the opportunity not only to work prior to Good Fight or Blessed Hope, but had a ministry called Good Fight for years, even before Blessed Hope. So I have two ministries, uh, and my wife can attest. <laughs> I work many, 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 many hours, you know, by God's grace. But to me, you seek first the kingdom of God, his righteousness, and what does he do? He takes care of you, amen? And we've always done that. In fact, my wife sees me at home the same way the church knows I'm here. I'm never the guy that says, we need a bigger building. We need to find another place. Anytime we've ever moved, it's been other people. Can we move because we've outgrown this? Now we're in a good, pretty good place, and we've been here for years, which is great. And I was like, well, pray. If the Lord opens the door, great. Because to me, it's just, to me, the building is the people, you know? And I want to feed them, encourage them, protect them, guard them, guide them. And praise God, the Lord has given us so many good elders through the years uh, pastor Steve over there, and by the way, you'll hear me say, "Elder Steve, Pastor Steve." You know, we have a Pastor John as well, and and uh Pastor Chad. I can call him Elder or Chad, Elder or Chad, Elder or Pastor, because those terms are used interchangeably in Scripture. As is overseer, you see, they're used they're used interchangeably, and uh, but I've always praised God because I made all the point elders who I. I Like Steve, you know, I brag on Steve sometimes to people, sometimes the congregation, that when he was at Blessed Hope, you know, he worked tirelessly, not seeking, and that's a, not a bad thing. It's a good thing. He seeks a good position if you seek to be elder. But Steve wasn't saying, please make me an elder. He's just serving, or make me a pastor. I just saw him serving. I knew he woke up early in the morning. I knew he worked late in the night helping with counseling and stuff like that. I said, this man is a man of God. He loves Jesus. He loves the bride. He wants to protect the church. He cares for people, and I've seen him do that for years and years. And Steve, you've been such a blessing to me, bro. So, you know, and I feel like I could die tomorrow, and Lord, I hope that's not happening. I want to be here longer, but you know how the Lord works sometimes. If I died soon, I, Steve would do an awesome job. You know how I know that? Because he's already doing an awesome job, you know? We have each other's backs in Jesus, you know? And we have each other's backs and care about each other so much that if Steve went off or I went off, we would check each other, you know? And we do that with the other elders as well, Like I say the same thing with John and Chad. I know where their heart's at. They love the Lord. They love you guys, and they, they protect. They care. Amen? You know, I think Chad's living in a home with four kids, and I think just they share the same room or two, you know? Not Chad and Holly with all the kids, but, you know, you know we've been praying, Lord, get them in something different. So, uh, but I feel I, I'm, that's one of the things that makes this fellowship healthy, you know? But it's important because Paul... It's calling Timothy, and Timmy evidently is a lead pastor there, and Timothy is being tasked to appoint the elders, and I assume that after he appointed one or two elders, he would probably ask for their encouragement and pray together with them to appoint more. That's what we do as elders, you know. We pray together. We make decisions together. It's, this fellowship is, not, is run through a plurality of elders, so we get together and we make decisions together, and I like that. Like if I wanted to get pink carpet, you know, which I wouldn't want to do, but for the sake of argument, you know, we could say, how come Joe did that? It's not what Joe does. Us elders make, a, make decisions together, you know? So it's nice because whiz, there's wisdom in a multitude of counselors. And there's wisdom that way. And as long as you have elders who are praying and seeking the Lord and fear and love the Lord, uh, a lot of good decisions will be made. It doesn't mean there'll be absolute perfection, you know, but God is good, amen? Now, we also recognize there's distinctions, perhaps, uh, in church governments. In fact, a lot of denominations differ, congregationalism, Presbyterians, they take their word from Presbyteros, that Greek word for overseer there, the Presbyterian denomination, because they see like an elder role type of fellowship. You have congregationalists where the church votes on everything, uh, because, and that became popular in America because of democracy, Democracy can be good to a degree. <laughs> Look what just happened, though, man. Like I said, man, if people lose their bearings, one of the presidents said that, that our, our, our Constitution is great if it's for a God-fearing people. If you lose the fear of God, man, you know, you, anything can be voted in eventually. Any kind of amendment can be made. That's why we're looking ultimately for Jesus and his return and his kingdom and the, the ultimate monarchy where the perfect prince of peace rules, amen. And that's why we pray thy kingdom come and we see what just happened yesterday and everybody so many people are predicting this red wave of conservatism, but we see where it's all headed, you know, so we know where it's going. So we pray, we occupy, we speak out, but we don't lose track of lifting up Jesus and knowing his kingdom's coming. He's on the throne so we don't have to freak out, Amen. We need to get out, get the salt out of the shaker, be the salt of the world, and be the light of the world. Now, it's interesting. There are three main different Greek words that are used to describe an elder. When you put these passages together, say, for instance, at in First and Second Timothy and Titus, along with, say, for instance, Acts 20, where Paul addresses the elders at the church at Ephesus, and you look at 1 Peter where he addresses elders among the believers. There's three different Greek words used. And these words will help us to understand the function of leadership in the church and also what the Lord's doing in the church and what some of the things he's really concerned about for us in our own families and, and the church family and our own families at home and how we live our lives and how we watch over our kids and how we care for them and how, what it means. The, the first Greek word I bring to your attention is uh, presbyteros, which I already brought up to you. Uh, and we'll talk a little bit more about all of these words. And that literally that can be translated elder. It's translated here overseer, but it can be translated as an elder. For instance, the word is used later in Timothy, where Paul talks about not to sharply rebuke an older man. Okay. A, a form of that word is used there. So, it, so sometimes it's speaking of an older man, but it doesn't always have to be applied to an older man. Uh, because it could be speaking of someone that's in leadership that might be older than the Lord. Maybe they're, maybe they're 30 years old or 25 years old, you know. But they've been in the Lord for six, seven, eight years. And they're more mature than a guy that's 50 years old because he's not really mature. But it does speak of leadership uh, and so forth. The next Greek word that is used throughout uh, some of these writings regarding elders is episkopos. Okay. Episkopos. And have you heard of Episcopalians? Just like Presbyterians take their name from Presbyteros, the Greek word for elder. Uh, Episcopalians take their name from Episcopos. Okay, Uh, and Episcopos, the word means overseer, one who oversees. Can you see how that would be important in fellowship? To watch over, to oversee a fellowship. Uh, The next Greek word, the third, is uh, poimano. okay. Poimino, M-A-I-N-O would be the transliteration, and the A I when it's translated from the Greek is like the I sound. Poimino, and that's the word we get for that's used for sh- one who's a shepherd or a pastor. A pastor is a shepherd. Uh, is anybody anybody like pastor meat? From pastor when I taught you there's carne asada, right? There's carnetus, right? There's 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 pastor. You know, how many like pastor when you go to a Mexican restaurant? Come on, man, it's so good. If, if it's not good where you've had it, you need to go to, you know, Ensenada. <laughs> Amen, Gerald? You go to Ensenada, man, and they've got that meat on the spit just spinning around. And I always thought it was interesting being a pastor that they call that meat pastor, pastor. And I'm like, huh. And the way you say pastor, I guess in Spanish, would be pastor, would be pastor. And it's pastor meat. And it's like, That's interesting. Is there a relationship to pastors? Absolutely. I looked into it. It wasn't invented by a pastor, but uh, it's interesting because Lebanese or Middle Eastern shepherds went to Mexico. And what do you see in Middle East, Kelly, when you're out there among the Arabs and the Jews? What kind of, you see gyros, right? Or you see the meat on the spit. You ever been, it's Greek to me, or those kind of Greek restaurants. And they got the meat on the spits that just turns And if it's lamb, and they put some beef fat on the top, and it drains over, hopefully you've already eaten, so I'm not making you hungry. I don't want you to leave early, you know. And it's just, they shave it off as it gets, you know, so good. Uh, Well, that's in the Middle East, you know, and you can be going down to your bus, and people start yelling, shawarma, shawarma, because they want you to pull over to the shawarma place and get some of that meat, and mix it with the garbanzo beans, and chickpeas, or whatever else, and all the salads, fresh stuff over in Israel. I guess I'm advertising the next Israel trip coming up in a couple years you know so anyway uh so guess what Middle Easterners moved I think from Lebanon if I'm, I've got that right to Mexico and they were shepherding pigs not sheep <laughs> and they started putting those things on spits and the Mexican culture blended with what they were doing and they ended up as pastor, pastor tacos you know crazy huh Man, how did I get off on that? That's not in my notes. But that's very interesting, though. So, but it's interesting, uh, poemino is the Greek word for pastor or shepherd. So think about this now. The Greek words speak of an elder, one who leads. And if if it's not speaking about age, and I'm sure age can come into it to a degree, uh, you know, but Paul says to Timothy, let no one despise your youth." That would be hard to say that he was just talking about strictly an old person because Timothy's a younger person. But, so it's not speaking of somebody who's strictly older, but somebody who has some maturity. Timothy had been raised in the scriptures, amen? He was a man of God and he was mature, but one that could be a leader, an elder, uh, and then also one who would be an overseer watching the flock and one who would shepherd the flock. So I love this because... As a pastor, and I'm sure Steve as well, uh, and and other pastors and elders. I know Chad's upstairs, uh, feeding the flock, young people up there, which is great. As an as an elder, pastoring them, uh, so forth. That is very, very important. And these words are illuminating as to what we do. You ever get a job where you were like, man, what am I supposed to do? Because you're not really being instructed, and you feel like, you know, I had a lot of jobs. I always knew what I could do. I got one job though. And it was just too easy because they just wouldn't tell me what to do. And I was like floating. And it really bothered me, actually. I was like, you know what? I don't know all my responsibilities here, you know? Actually, it was, it's a long story. But you know what? I love it when I know exactly what to do. And what's neat is, I, is the Lord's always has plenty. Steve, you know, in, this minute, in ministry, you always have plenty to do, you know? As long as you keep your hand at the plow. Now, uh, it's interesting this is something to consider: is church governments are different. That's why you could look at Episcopalians and and Congregationalists and Presbyterians, and and they're different types of church governments. Wesleyans or Nazarene churches, they have like one elder ruling the church. They don't have a plurality of elders. Great brother of mine, love him, man. Uh, Kim Richmond, I didn't know how the, their church government worked differently, and uh, he moved from Simi Valley to Colorado. I've hunted with him a few times since he moved. Amazing brother, uh, love him and his wife. And and when I was talking to him, it's like, wow, it's interesting. They have one elder; he's it, one pastor, and not a plurality of elders. And then they have a bishop, which is distinct from the elders, who goes and oversees other churches. So you have very, you know, it's and it's very interesting because. Uh, and I'm not super, I'm very careful not to be super strong on condemning another church's form of government and not dividing over these issues. We believe at Blessed Hope in a plurality of elders. I believe there's scriptural evidence for that, that it's important, and I believe it's important to have more than one elder uh, making decisions together, you know. Yeah, there's elders who rule well and, and, and preach and teach and so forth. And, Obviously, Timothy is having oversight over to one degree or another because he's one appointing the elders, but where does does that happen? I mean, I love the fact that we get together, and I think pretty much, Steve, I think through the years, we pretty much make all our decisions together, (laughs) and that's been a blessing, you know, for us. Again, Joe, who picked the pink carpet? I got outvoted by the other elders, you know? No, they wouldn't do that, you know? But it's important to understand when you look at the various roles that we have. But when you look at early church history, there seems to be, it's hard to know for sure. You could read Ignatius, who was a disciple of the Apostle John. And when you read his writings, it's very top-heavy, where he's the bishop of the church and the elders are distinct from him and they're under him. As though bishop... And elder are totally different roles. And Ignatius is writing in the latter part of the first century. So some church historians and scholars believe that Ignatius represents some of maybe John's, John's government. That's how you see the government in John's churches, perhaps. Others would say, no, that was an early, very early deviation from elder rule. Others would say, no, it was never elder rule. It's just like Ignatius, who's right under John's apostleship, you know, and that's how it ought to be, and they'll argue back and forth. And because church government isn't crystal clear in scripture, it's not something I'm super dogmatic on personally, you understand know what I'm saying? Although I have to lean, and we do as a fellowship, where the scriptures, I believe the scriptures, for me, they're, I think they're pretty clear that it seems to be more than one elder in each church, you know? And I praise God for that, man, because I'd, it'd be kind of a bummer being the only leader in the fellowship, you know. Uh, and it's actually a, a very liberating and so forth. Now, uh, also, so you've got the, you have people making distinctions, you know, and so forth, uh, and, and having different opinions about that. But at, at Blessed Hope, we have a plurality of elders, and it's been very healthy and very beautiful through the years. And as long as they're God-fearing men, uh, it, it's, it's a beautiful thing. Now, it's interesting, these three terms, okay, presbyteros, episcopos, and the poemon, okay, the shortened noun aspect of that word or form of that word, uh, these words are actually used all together sometimes, just of the same office. That's why I believe, see, what I'm saying is when some people see overseer, episcopos, and then they see, ah, you know, presbyteros, they say, oh, well, there's some who are presbyteros, there's some who are episcopos, and there's some who or are uh, poimeno. Like those are three different things, or at least two different things. We personally see them all three as describing the same office. An overseer is an elder is a pastor. A pastor is an overseer an elder, same thing. And here's one reason. Go to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. And it's interesting, if you go to verse 17, you'll see that Paul, Paul is giving his farewell speech in Acts 20 to the church at Ephesus. And in verse 17, he says this, from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called him the what? The elders of the what? Church. Okay. And I can show you, I'm not gonna take the time to do it, but a lot of passages where it seems that there's more than one elder at the churches." That's just be one of many places I can show you that to you. So, but Paul's calling the elders of the church. Then look at verse 28. There's a lot he says to them, but I want to hone in on making our point here. Be on guard for yourselves. Be on guard for yourselves. And for all the flock. That's interesting because what do shepherds do? They guard the flocks, right? Uh, Among which the Holy Spirit has made you what? Overseers. Amen? Overseers. Okay? So he calls the elders of the church, right? The presbyteros in verse 17. But in verse 28, be on guard for yourselves, he says to these presbyteros, the elders, be on guard for yourselves in all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. And the Greek word for overseers, guess what it is? Uh, I think it's an epsilon there, beginning letter of episkopos, okay? Episkopos, this is the other Greek word, and it's translated overseers, right? The Holy Spirit has made you overseers. By the way, the Holy Spirit will sometimes move on a brother's heart to become an elder. That's why he desires a good thing, because he sees a man after God's heart that would be a shepherd and would care for the flock and, and and would... Uh, seek to be, uh, guard the flock and bless the flock and teach the flock, encourage the flock, you know? in the Holy Spirit, but notice it's presbyteros in verse 17, then it's the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, episkopos, and he says to what? Read it again, verse 28, be on your guard for yourselves and for all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, episkopos, to shepherd, guess what the Greek word for shepherd is there? Poimino, for pastor, Shepherd, the Church of God, so we have the elder and we have the overseer and the pastor or the episkopos the presbyteros and the uh, poimeno all together in the same narrative describing the same office, not three different offices. Are you with me? Okay. Uh, in fact, we see the similar phenomena in First Peter. Go to First Peter chapter five. First Peter chapter five. we see this phenomenon again. Peter writes in verse one, therefore I exhort the elders, guess what that word is? Presbyteros, right? Therefore I I exhort the elders, the the presbyteros among you, as your fellow elder, because Peter I mentioned, he's also an elder, as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ. You yeah, had to be a witness of the sufferings of Christ's resurrection and so forth to be one of the original 12 apostles, right? And a partaker also of the glory that has revealed. Then what does he say? What's the next word? Shepherd. Guess what it is? Ha! <laughs> so you have presbyteros. Therefore, I exhort the elders, presbyteros, among you, as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker of the glory that has revealed. Shepherd, poimino. The flock of God among you, exercising overf- oversight, episcopeo, which is uh, episcopas, just a different form of the same word, not under compulsion, but voluntarily according to the will of God. Okay. Are you with me? I know we're laboring a little bit. This is, this is called a Bible study. Amen? Amen. Okay. And I don't apologize that we get into the word and we study it because we need to know the word. Now, guess what? Somebody might ask you, Okay. Down the line sometime, hey, you know, how how does your church government run? Do you have, who's your bishop? Who's the main guy that just, you know, runs everything and tells everybody else what to do? Well, that's not how we we roll. What do you mean? Well, we have a plurality of elders. Where's that in the Bible? Don't you have a bishop and a pastor and an elder? Well, we have a few of them. They all do all those things. Some do more of this. Some do more of that. How is that biblical? That's not what the Catholic Church does. We have cardinals and popes, and well, you just got to say, well, where's the cardinals and the popes in the Bible? Pope means it's from Papa, it means Papa, and you know, and uh, they call don't call religious leaders your father, amen. And they call the Pope Holy Father. That's not biblical. So we want to remain biblical. So. Uh, and the, it's, these, these different roles are very important because, uh, and these different words are helpful because they help us differentiate the different works that elders have. In fact, one of the main responsibilities of an elder is to serve as a guardian and caretaker of the church, 1 Timothy 3.5, to oversee the spiritual health of the church, Acts chapter 20, verse 28, right? Because Paul goes on to say, wolves will come in, not sparing the flock. So they have to shepherd and watch over the flock. They're supposed to exhort and refute exhort the believers and refute false teaching, Titus 1, nine. Wow. They're supposed to determine church policy, Acts chapter 15, verse 22. Supposed to act as shepherds, setting an example for everybody, 1 Peter chapter 5, 1 through 3. Uh, they ordain other rule, to others' elders to rule, teach, and preach, 1 Timothy 4.4. Uh, 4. So I hope this is... It's helpful for you, because we're the family of God, and we want to see okay how how do you how do you work Lord, and it's very important that we get this together, and also we could look at First uh, and Second Timothy, where some of these words like presbyteros and episkopos are used are used of the same role. We're see, we'll see that later as we go through 1 Timothy, uh, next time when we, start to, or next time we actually are in 1 Timothy 3 and we go through 2 and following, we'll start to see that he doesn't just use the word presbyteros for these elders in 1 Timothy 3, but he also uses the word, the Greek word episkopos, which means to exercise oversight. That's why in 3.5 he says, you know, elder must manage the church. You know, they have to watch over the church and so forth. And, uh, and by the way, that reference is 1 Peter 5.1. First, uh, Timothy 5, when I'm sorry, when I earlier said, it says, you not rebuke an older man harshly. That's word, the word for, you know, presbyteros is a, a form of that word being used there. So, it's interesting because when we go through Scripture, and I'm going to read a little bit more of this passage to you. Uh, in fact, one of the main things that a, presbyteros does, if we start to look at each word, if we look at each and every word just in a little bit more uh, depth, is I already covered the meaning of presbyteros a little bit, right? Elder. The, the framework of that, we don't know for sure but that's what the Holy Spirit had in mind, but it's very likely that he is looking back to, God is looking back to the elders that were appointed by Moses, right? To help Moses and so forth. Help with the counseling and help with the, managing the people, the, the, the people of God, and that's important to understand. And, and it's interesting, uh, when you look at these, the, the word episkopos, when we go more in depth, if we were to spend more time there, in the book of Acts chapter 20, verse 28, they're supposed to exercise oversight, as I mentioned, because Paul said that after he leaves, and he says, I haven't ceased to warn you with tears for three years, because God gave him a vision, showed him that grievous wolves would enter into their church, not sparing the flock. And then he says, even from among your own selves, among the, own, your own, the elders in that fellowship, he said people would rise up, uh, drawing people away, speaking perverse things to draw disciples after them. And Paul's warning them to watch out even among the elders that there wouldn't be a subversive elder that would seek to make a name for himself and draw other disciples away from the church. Paul talked about not building on another man's foundation well, this is not just building someone else's foundation. This would be stealing sheep from one church to start another church. And that's happened thousands of times over in churches where an elder wants to a following. And it's like, and he starts to deviate from the teaching of the church that he claims to represent and be part of for whoever knows how long. So all the elders are to watch their own hearts. And that's why elders must also be humble and say, hey, I'm not beyond falling. The Bible says, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall, amen. And I always encourage the elders, we need to, as Paul told Timothy, who's an elder, in 1 Timothy 4.16, watch your life and your behavior. I'm sorry, watch your life or your behavior and your doctrine. And in so doing, you'll save yourself and those who hear you. He's talking about their souls will be preserved from falling away for final salvation. Not that we don't, Jesus is the only one that saves, amen, but you'll continue in the faith. And Keep others in the faith. And so uh, I've always encouraged elders, man, don't counsel women alone. If you don't counsel women alone, you're not getting in trouble with women, okay? Unless you've got some other nasty habit with porn or something like that. And then any, any elders that does that needs to repent absolutely like on the spot, right? Because God wants, Paul tells Timothy to be a vessel fit for the master's service, amen? So a, a pure vessel, Second Timothy chapter 2. So it's important, it's vital as, as believers that we walk in righteousness and we grow in grace. Now, it's interesting because the, so they're overseers. What, you ever see me doing oversight as far as guarding the flock and warning you? Watch out, all the time. It's one of my jobs, you know? It's also a job of, so the next, and that gets us in the next word is uh, poimen, okay? Or Poimino. But the poimen is a shepherd and, and that's the word for shepherd. Now it's not the word for elder, or it's not the word for overseer specifically, but guess what? A poimen or a poyman, uh, has does those things as well because that's what a shepherd does. A shepherd watches over the flock. A shepherd feeds the flock. Now Peter uses that word also of Jesus, who is the chief. He says, to shepherd the flock of God, to the elders of 1 Peter 5, but he talks about uh, not under compulsion, but le- uh, giving an example, just like the chief shepherd, which is Jesus, who, I think is 1 Timothy 2.25 as well, with 1 Peter chapter 5, which uses the word uh, poimeno, or poimen, of Jesus as being the chief shepherd. Us shepherds that are pastors, we're just under shepherds. We're just believers who are being used by God in that way to help the shepherd. He's the shepherd. We point everybody to him. He's the only one that can ultimately save, amen? Hallelujah. And we're, we're nothing, but we're, we're just vessels used by God's glory. And we're not, God's indispensable, okay? Elders and everybody else in the fellowship is not indispensable. We're all dispensable. God can use a donkey, amen? amen. So we just all look to the Lord. We serve him in humility, recognizing we're nothing, and always bring glory to Jesus. And we watch out. We guard the flock from people that come in that want to change people's doctrine and get them to think they could just do whatever they want, and they're saved, just free to sin like hell and still go to heaven and teach all kinds of weird doctrines, or we don't have to go through tribulations and trials, and, you know, and, you know, God just wants you to have a blessed life now and just focus on yourself and love yourself more, and that's being taught in churches today. Oh, in churches, we just need to love ourselves more. Show me the Bible. Where does it say that? My problem is I love myself too much. Okay, i got to wake up in the morning, deny myself and say I'm serving everybody else. And even when you wake up with that mentality, it's so hard sometimes, amen? Because you just want to take a drink because something, something sweet. I've been doing good, not doing that, but Michael tells me there's not much sugar in there, so praise God. He's lost a lot of weight, so I believe him. It's a good example. God is good. So, interesting, interesting. Uh, So, with poimen, it's interesting, too, because the English translation of the verb, poimeno, which is the verb form of poimen, okay, and this uh, means to take care of, to feed, to shepherd. So, the word shepherd, right, the verb means to feed and to take care of, you know. So, as shepherds, we're to take care of the flock, you know. Lisa and I, and she's not an elder, but she went with me to visit Bob yesterday. Got to encourage a brother. One of the sheep is in the hospital. He keeps getting bitten by spiders. So one of the sheep is laid out. So we go and tend to him a little bit, you know, and we had a great time, Bob, wonderful time spending with you, you know, and not all the elders. I, we rang the other elders up, but it was real short notice because I got it that morning. I said, okay, I'll work my schedule to get over there. Just send a thing out. If any elders are working too and do another ministry, but praise the Lord, um, On the way home, Lisa was saying, are you sure women can't be elders? No, no, she didn't say that. (laughs) She didn't say that. Now, it's interesting. Moses, who was a shepherd, and that language is used of him, uh, urged God to, you know, uh, was urged, you know. Well, he basically looked over the congregation of Israel in Numbers 27, 17. It says, uh, we will not be like sheep without a shepherd. Okay, it's interesting. What did God bring to Jesus in, the, in Bethlehem when he was born, after he was born? Shepherds. shepherds, amen. God supplies our needs and shepherds us according to Psalm chapter 23, and he's the good shepherd that leads us by the still waters, amen. amen. I love that. Isaiah states that God, quote, tends his flock like a shepherd. This is a popular, a very recurring metaphor throughout the scripture, Tends his flock like a shepherd, he gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those who have young. Is that a precious verse? I love that. That's Isaiah chapter forty, verse one. Jesus speaks of the multitudes who were lost and that were coming to hear him as sheep without a shepherd, Matthew nine, thirty six. Jesus calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out in chapter 10 of John, verse 3. And he says, I know them, and they follow me, in verse 27. The shepherd's concern from the wayward is shepherd could leave the 99 and seek the one who is lost. Jesus the good shepherd. He said he does what? He lays his life down for the sheep. Amen. John, chapter 10, verse 11. He's the shepherd we ultimately point people to. Uh, Steve, myself, you know, John, Chad, Nick, who just is now pastoring and shepherding in, in Idaho who eventually appoint elders there. You know, he's praying about it and, and we're praying God leads him and so forth. Well, he doesn't have any elders, but well, no, we're his elders over here. But as he gets elders, we'll be able to back off as you know, uh, of, and we're just helping him, you know, minimally with oversight in whatever way he needs. Now, it's interesting, Because the elders have all, a pastor does these different things. He mends, he he comforts, he, he protects, he feeds. Peter is a shepherd, right? And a fellow elder, he says. But what does Jesus say to Peter when he restores him? Remember, Peter fell away. And Peter was an awesome apostle. Man, he was courageous. Jesus, I'm ready to go to prison and death for you. His heart was in the right place as far as what he wanted to do for Jesus. But... The problem was, is Peter, he had a lot of zeal, but he had a lot to learn. He needed to recognize that he hadn't grown in his love for Jesus' degree that he needed to, to the degree that would, where he wouldn't fall away. He wasn't a sheep who was depending fully on the shepherd yet. And Jesus said to Peter, when Peter said, everybody else may deny you, but I'll never deny you. He says, Peter, you'll deny me three times before the cock crows. Remember that? You know, Peter contradicted Jesus said, I'm ready to go to prison death for you. And then it says, it's in in one of the gospel accounts, says they all started saying that. They followed Peter's lead. Jesus said, Jesus quoted from Zechariah 13, it says, "The, the, the shepherd will be struck and the sheep will scatter. That's exactly what happened. And Peter fell away. And he denied him three times. And he wept bitterly when Jesus looked at him at the trial, when Jesus was walking he looked at Peter after his third denial, and Peter just wept bitterly. He couldn't believe what he'd done. So he wasn't a phony; he was just weak. If he was a phony, he would have been, "Oh, oh, he found me out! I'm, I'm a liar." No, his heart was to serve Jesus. He wept bitterly because he was so sad that he broke the Lord's heart. You understand that? And I and then I read First and Second Peter in light of those experiences because I see him strengthening the brethren. Because that's what Jesus called him to do when he restored him. Do you remember when Peter was restored? Where was it at? Does anybody remember? Was it on a mountaintop or in a desert or on a beach? Beach. On on a shore, right? Disciples were fishing again, right? They grew up in Galilee fishing there. That's where the ministry was headquartered at first, in the north part of Israel, right? Jesus was more accepted in Galilee than he was in Jerusalem, huh? Although although some of the cities he upbraided because they rejected him, even having seen some of his miracles. But this is what's interesting, is when Jesus is resurrected and he's sitting there, he has a fire going. It's probably pretty chilly in the morning. And remember what happened? Peter and those guys went back to fishing. Jesus died. He'd been risen, but they're like, what do we do now? Oh, they'd give it, he'd given them instructions, but... He, he died. He rose again on the third day. Crucified on a Friday. Rose on a Sunday morning. Passover, crucified. First fruits, resurrected, just like the, which would be really cool to get into. Uh, the, the feast days were all pictures of this. The day of Pentecost, 50 days later, was the day the gospel was preached and the Holy Spirit came upon them. But prior to Pentecost, what happened? There, they're there fishing, and they don't catch anything. That, that happens when you fish sometimes. Any fishermen here? That happens when you go all day without catching anything. And they're all night. It's morning time. And they're like, just about done. It's like, and Jesus yells, hey, cast the net over the side. They're like, they do it. Remember, I think it was, it was 157 fish, something like that. So many fish, it was breaking the net. And what did the apostle John say? It's the Lord, Right. Because guess what? John was a fisherman, right? James, Peter. Deja vu. It's like, didn't this happen before? Remember when Peter was first called? Remember when they were just called? They were fishing. And Jesus instructed them. And that's when Peter's like, I'm a sinful man. Depart from me. You know, like, oh my. Now they're like tripping out. Wait, this guy in the shore, we probably didn't even think he's a fisherman. He, uh, it's, John says, this is the Lord. Peter jumps in the water, man. Starts swimming toward those guys. Remember that? It's interesting, instead of taking off his clothes, he put on his clothes, his outer garments, jumps in the water, swims over there, and it's Jesus. And if you're early in the morning, and you go for a swim you don't intend to, and your clothes are all wet, how do you think it feels? You're probably doing what? You're probably shivering. <laughs> I would be. And guess what? The, the fire probably felt so good, and he's tripping out because he denied the Lord three times. And this blows me away. Because Jesus tells us to go back to our first love. Amen. Amen. And when he first fell in love with Jesus, when he saw Jesus provide for his need and said, I'll make you a fisher of men. And now he's fishing again and not really being the fisher of men so much. Not that he stopped, but, and now he's shivering again. And when he was shivering, last time he was shivering at a fire, that's when he what? Denied the Lord, remember? He was, a, a woman comes to him and says, you're a Galilean, I can tell by your voice. He uses foul language, I swear. Oh, I'm not, I don't know what you're talking about. And then he was disgusted with himself. Now he's remembering his conversion. He's remembering his denial. He's back at the fire. And by the way, remember I mentioned this Greek word for childbearing, this compound Greek word of 1 Timothy 2.15 is only found one other time. It's in 1 Timothy 2 or chapter 5. And it ties those two passages together. Well, the only time you find the Greek word for fire when he's at the fire is the other time is where he denied him. He denied him three times. Same word for fire. It's kind of interesting. I think the Holy Spirit does that sometimes. And he denied Jesus three times. How many times did Jesus ask Peter when they were together and he came back swimming from the shore to be restored? How many times do you, did he ask him if he loved him? Do you remember? Three times, a reverse of that. And it says the third time Jesus said it, it says, it says Peter was grieved because he said a third time. You know? It says Peter was grieved because he said a third time, do you love me, Peter? But if we look at the English, we'll just get a third time, oh, it's a third time, and you might put it together. Well, it's like denial, that's why I heard him. It's like, oh, he's, he's getting me to reverse that, and he just felt bad because he denied three times. But there's more to it. I've taught on this before, Because the first two times he says, Peter, do you love me? But he uses the word agapao, agapao. That's that strongest Greek word for love. In fact, it's used often of God's love. In fact, that word became so beautiful to the Christians that even though it was a word that we use in Greek, it became a specialized word in the Greek, in the biblical Greek of God's love. And Christians basically own that word. Because how do you describe God's love? And Agapa'o was then started to be, became defined as God giving his son. Oh, it could be used in various ways, but that was the word that was used for God so loved agapao the world. Amen. The fruit of the Spirit is agape. The noun ver agapa'o was the verb. Uh, is the verb. Agape is a noun. It be, it's such a beautiful word. First two times he says, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Both, you know, ag- Agapa'o, Agapa'o. It's a strong word in Peter's, you know. And the third time he was grieved because it says Jesus said to you, phileo me, which is a weaker word for love. It's still a good word for love. It's brotherly love. And it says Peter was grieved because the third time he said to you, phileo me. And he said, Peter, if you love me, feed my sheep. Amen. One time he says, tend my lambs. And that means the young sheep, you know. And that, that's the heart of the Lord. The heart of the Lord is to restore people who've fallen, amen. Peter then used to, be, to lead a lot of the church for the first 10 chapters of the book of Acts. So if you've had some bad chapters in your past, get right with the Lord, amen. And make sure you serve him now for the rest of your life so you can say, praise God. I had some mess ups in my past, but praise God. God is the God of second, third, Seventy times seven chances, amen. And he has grace and mercy. And just cry out to him and he'll have mercy on you. And he wants to use you. And then when you read the, go through the book of Acts, Peter, there's Peter, strengthen brethren, preaching the lost. When you read first and second Peter, what's Peter doing? Feeding the sheep. Feeding the lambs. Amen. Shepherds bring their sheep to green pasture. That's why I wanna be, and Steve wants to be, elders, we wanna be really good shepherds under the chief great shepherd, amen? That's why we feed you the word, amen? That's why we don't make it about us. Make it about Jesus, his word, salvation, knowing him and making him known. But I wanna encourage you in the last few minutes we have here, if you're a parent, there's a lot of application you can bring to your own household. You have children, if you have children, Or if you're not a parent, but you serve in Sunday school, you teach the kids, or you're not serving officially, but you love people and you're a believer, you strengthen other other believers, you can apply this to your lives. As far as just, we should all be watchmen on the wall, amen? We should all be watching for false things that come in and say, hey, you know, you mean, uh, no, 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 if someone goes off, that's just the pastor's job. Well, the pastors are elders and are overseers. It's all of our job. Well, yeah, that's your guys' job. No. If your brother sins against you, does it say go to the pastor and have him call that guy up? No. no. It says you go to that person. Amen? Amen? And you lovingly confront that person. If they repent, praise the Lord, you've won your brother. If they refuse, bring one or two with you. Now, that's hard to do. And I know, and, and sometimes it's so hard to do that brothers and sisters fall away when they get into sin because another brother or sister doesn't want to obey Jesus in that. Because, but it's our duty. It's your duty. If you're close to a brother or sister, you know them and they get off track. It's not love to say, well, I'm just gonna let them crash and burn. They're in sin. They're in rebellion to God. That's their fault. No, it says go to them. Amen? Amen? And they might, they might think you're sanctimonious or... Are you holy? You think you're holier than thou? And you might feel like you get rejected or whatever. But I'm not saying you think something. I'm saying you know someone's in rebellion to God. Then you pray. And it says to restore them in a spirit of gentleness. Amen. And after he says, right before he says restore them in a spirit of gentleness, he talks about the fruit of the spirit. Love, peace, joy, long suffering right? Gentleness, goodness. That means those who are filled with the Spirit. And As believers, we want to say, look, we want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We want to be filled with God's Word. and want, want to do His work as part of the body of Christ. And it says to believers, Paul says to believers again, like Jesus in Matthew 18, to go to your brother. He says to restore a brother in the spirit of gentleness, watching your own selves, just like the elders in Acts 20 were supposed to watch themselves, watching yourselves that you too are not tempted, right? Don't go, but because if you have a sanctimonious attitude about yourself, like, I'm holier than thou. I can't believe he did that. I would never, ever do that. Then you gotta be careful, because let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. And Peter said, and have mercy on some with fear, hating the garment that's been polluted by the flesh. And saving some, snatching them out of the fire. So people that are in the flesh, and they've been poisoned by fleshly sin, that can infect you and you can get sucked into their very sin if you, a, if you don't have a fear of God and a prayerful heart to say, Lord, help me to be humble, recognize that I could fall too, and that there's a spiritual war here, and there's demonic entities probably leading this person away from God, and, I'm, and you pray for them, you intercede for them, you go to them, and you encourage them, the oh, Lord, hey, bro, you know, I notice that you're not being faithful to your wife, man. Or, man, I, I know that you, you know, you just haven't been in fellowship for a period of time, and... And that's uh, because, you know, on Sunday mornings, you know, you're, you're going to the bar. I have drove by it a few times. And, but make sure, I mean, what if you find out, like, man, he's missed a month straight, and you find out that he goes to the bar and he preaches and he goes to the night service or something somewhere. I don't know. You got to be careful, right? But what I'm saying is we're all supposed to be, we are our brothers and sisters keepers. Amen? So we're all supposed to protect the flock. We're all supposed to be good examples. We're all supposed to encourage one another in Christ. Amen? We're all supposed to mend each other. When it says restore someone who has fallen, the Greek word for restore in Galatians chapter five, in a spirit of gentleness, the word restore is a word that is used to mend, of mending tents, putting them back together, sewing up tents, fixing a broken bone. You want a doctor who is careless and you go in, and he goes, which arm is it, this one or this one? And you got a broken arm? No, you want someone who's caring and sensitive and so forth. So as elders and also as brothers and sisters, It's interesting, brothers and sisters are called to do a lot of the same thing the elders are to do as far as how we minister one to another, amen? Because we're all following Jesus' example, amen? And the Holy Spirit wants to use each and every believer. And that's one thing we've emphasized in this fellowship since day one. That each, even though we have different roles, men and women, before the cross, I've said over and over again, Galatians 3.28, there's neither male nor female, amen? There's neither Jew nor Greek. We're all one before the cross. We're all humans made in God's image, just made different than one another and have different roles. But men and women, all of us are priests. We know that. We're all ministers, amen? I can prove that in scripture. I'm not gonna go to it, but you know, you know that in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul says, to all believers, if anyone be in Christ, is a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. And God has given us, those who are new creations, the ministry of reconciliation. You are a minister, male or female, of reconciliation. That means you can bring people to Jesus. Amen. You can share the gospel with them. And Paul talked about how, and I think the NASB uses the word beg. The Holy Spirit is begging through us for people to be reconciled to God. That's the heart of God. Through us. Now, think about this. Did you know the Holy Spirit, who lives in you, even though He grieves when we sin and we need to repent and get right, He's excited about using you as the hands and feet of Jesus, the body of Christ, to reach for people and snatch them out of the fire, to strengthen believers that are there, to snatch those who have fallen away out, to reach the lost who don't know Jesus? Because all of us are ministers of reconciliation, and the Word of God tells us in First Peter chapter five that we are a holy and royal priesthood, all of us, male and female. Hallelujah. What a glorious privilege we have, amen? So I love you guys. I see the time, it says 8.30. That means it's time to pray. So I love you guys, and I just, we just want you guys, we just all want to walk the truth together, amen? Have we learned some stuff tonight? Let's be what the Lord's called us all to be, amen? Look, could can we all please stand?